Unsee the future. The Hopi Chatty Bits. Hello and welcome to Unsee the Future, the Hopi Chatty Bits with me, Timo Peach, in which I meet artists, solar punks and changemakers reimagining the stories we think we're in. And um, yeah, if you thought that was a thing before, do we ever now? It is uh, a very strange feeling here in Europe. I think it's a very strange feeling all around the world, whether we are directly connected or not to events in Ukraine. It is my contention just to get into it, that this is all one story and that the reason that we are in the situation that we're in is a collective failure of the human imagination. It's having direct material effects on our society, on our communities. At the moment, it's having a very material effect on lives in Ukraine, all driven by the same zero-sum value games, I believe. What do you think? Uh, And as if this wasn't fun enough for everybody, the IPCC released their latest report this morning, the 6th, uh, in which they (laughs) gladly told us that uh, climate change is even worse than we thought. So do you want to get out of bed? Uh, Probably not. Is that thing inside you gnawing away? Well, Unsee the Future wants to offer you not just a nice, funny escape, but an escape route a way round this to see futures that we are not used to being able to picture. I think that is our single biggest problem. The story we think we're in is one that looks like there's no alternative. And just like a certain Russian dictator, it turns out that is just made up. Uh, the future is something we make and we can just as easily remake. So I'm very pleased today to have uh, a special guest with me who is a storyteller and responsible for getting out into the world so many narratives of solar punk. She is a speculative fiction writer and she's editor-in-chief of the World Weaver Press, which is arguably one of the foundational publishing houses for the solar punk genre. And she says simply, solar punk is a world you might actually want to live in. It is a hopeful future. She's also story reviewer for Imagine 2200, climate fiction for future ancestors. And she says to all prospective writers in that competition, be bold, be brave, write the future you want to bring into existence. She's written many short stories. She is about to release her first novella. She is, can I break this? Working on a full novel. She's also known by the pen name Kira Bream Naman. She is, of course, the one and only... Serena Ulibari. <laughs> Serena, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for inviting me. And that was quite the intro. I feel very, uh, very blessed to uh, uh, hear all those things about me. I don't, I, I don't think of myself that way. So thank you. I know you carry yourself in a very uh, humble and thoughtful way, but you have been responsible for putting together all kinds of tales of the future. That's doing nothing less than helping Solarpunk found, find its foundation. Is that too much? Is that way too heavily on your shoulders? Or what do you think of that idea? I've been part of the movement that's, uh, that's, that's made this a thing. I mean, I remember back when it was, you know, Adam Flynn and just a couple others and were like, we should yeah. make this a thing. And I was like, I'm going to help make this a thing. And so, you know, I, uh, 
yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that the stories that I put out, both the ones I've written and the anthologies that I've um, published, I'm glad that they've reached so many readers and inspired um, the growth of this movement. Um, you know, and the, and the Glass and Gardens anthologies, that's exactly what they were supposed to be. Uh, they were supposed to be a, um, you know, here's, here's some examples of what solar pump could be. Now read these and go write your own. And, you know, and consider... Now read <laughs> now yeah. read these and go write your own and yeah. there, there are some of the titles now uh solar punk summers which i've i've got here beside me solar punk winters uh the multi-species cities i've got that sitting upstairs waiting for me and others and they're anthologies aren't they they're a collection of lots of different voices exploring this and you say the invitation is now go write your own go and write your own that's a very solar punk thing it seems the invitation to engage and connect and have a go Absolutely, because solar punk is not, uh, it's not one thing, you know, just like climate change is not one thing. It means something different in every place that it affects um, because of, you know, the actual climate and, and the political climate and, uh, you know, poverty levels and everything. Climate change will affect all of us, but it will affect all of us in very different ways. And so solar punk as a vision of a future in which we live with climate change and adapt to it and find better ways to navigate it. Um, it has to come from multiple voices. It has to come from this, uh, you know, the, this international perspective. Because what is going to work here in New Mexico, where I am, is going to be way different than what's going to, you know, work uh, in in the UK where you are. And it's going to be way different than what happens in Singapore and in South America. You know, like it's every place has a different story, and so we need all of those stories to make a complete vision of this future. Yeah, it's a sort of kaleidoscope. And and that's, mm -hmm. I guess, reflected in the format of an anthology that you can yeah. jump between these worlds quite easily. Have you seen lots? What's it like dealing with so many different voices when you're trying to select a flow, a playlist of stories? Well, it's definitely tricky. And I have experienced my own biases uh, coming up and, right. and have had to, to sort of grapple with those. Um, so with the Multispecies Cities anthology, it was a really great experience because we had uh, not just like uh, multi-national you know, submissions, but we had a um, we had like an international editorial board too. So we had someone from uh, Japan and uh, Australia and uh, India, and um, and so that was better because the, that anthology is way different than it would have been if it had just been me uh, picking the stories because there were certain ones that really resonated with them that I was like. Eh, it's okay and then some of those are the ones that like the reviewers are like yes this is the best i'm like well i would have missed that i would have missed it <laughs> that's you know? a bit embarrassing for an editor isn't it go, oh yeah i thought it was a bit uh, so so i mean I'm, I'm willing to admit that though because like i have i have my perspective and my background and that's not enough you know yeah. and so i think um uh yeah it's it's not just the diversity of the writers but the diversity of editors is important as well yeah and how do you how do you find dealing with or how do you, the people you deal with like in those juries who are not english first language that must feel like a bit of a, a challenge for you and them in different ways you must feel a bit conscious of the the bias of being english speaking i don't know if you have another language or not but uh how do you navigate that sense of language when you're dealing with so many different cultures um, that's a good question. I don't know if I have anything really smart to say about it. I mean, it was, it was challenging, but I don't know. Um, I'm interested to know how, you know, say your Japanese guest yeah. picked out stories and what themes picked for them and then sort of how they felt about interacting with it. 
So there was this one, I can just give you like a, like an example from, from the anthology. Uh, there's a story called a life with CB in uh, the multi-species cities anthology. And so it, this was one that like, I read it and I was like, I don't get it. And everyone else on the panel was like, this is amazing. And so it's a weird little flash fiction story where there are these creatures that kind of roam around and they are sentient food. And you can like go up to them and slice off a piece of, like they you know, ask them, uh, can I have a slice? And they say, yeah, sure. And they slice off a piece of them and, um, and they like regenerate and this is this is a food source now and so like i don't know exactly what it is about that story that resonated so strongly with the two reviewers that are in japan and the you know and the, and the other it was like i think it was the two, the two that were in japan and the one in australia were like this is mind-blowing and <laughs> like me and the one who was in india were like Okay. <laughs> and so I don't know what that cultural difference was or if it even was culture, if it was something else. But so like, there's an example of like, that's a story that would not have gone, gotten through my slush pile, but it, I, I was able to, because of their enthusiasm, was able to see the value of it. It, and, now, yeah. now there's, it, what that illustrates is, of course, charmingly, uh, <laughs> the, the complexity of human culture. So in, in an age where we're trying to find all the common ground and, and, and bridge divides, at the same time, you put a bunch of different people in a room and there were just so many, <laughs> so mm -hmm. many ways you would get something you didn't expect. And that story, I mean, it must make you think of, have you read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? Sure. Yeah, it's the pig at the uh, in the restaurant the end of the oh, universe yeah. <laughs> and then i they, forgot about that you're right it's that is have you seen the, the the really old bbc screen adaptation of the hitchhikers no i haven't oh it's wonderful i, <laughs> I saw that as a kid before i read the books or heard the original radio play uh and the radio plays really hold up by the way they sound incredibly punchy to this day but in the in the TV, really cheap BBC 1981, but utterly charming. There's nothing, been nothing like it. The pig sort of reaches over the shoulder of, of Arthur Dent and puts his trotter on his on his shoulder and says, don't worry, I'll be humane. <laughs> anyway, so you are, you're a creative, you're a writer. Let's get into storytelling. Uh, you sometimes write under a pen name. You don't always write solar punk. I want to ask you this basic starting question about writing where does the muse come for you um it won't leave me alone um it comes from everywhere so i i think of writing as a compulsion to me um it's wow. uh, if i don't do it uh i do not feel mentally healthy <laughs> um so yeah but i mean i think story seeds come from everywhere and like you know the answer would be different for every uh, everything and I'm always mining my past um, okay for for things like uh, like I wrote a I wrote a new story that um, you know probably won't be out until sometime next year is for uh, was solicited for an anthology but I you know I started with it I started with an idea which was like uh, <clears throat> uh, fog harvesting like getting fresh water from from fog and I was learning about this for another project and so it was, it was just a really in, amazing imagery. And I was like, I kind of want to write a story that includes this imagery. And then like, but from there, I ended up bringing in uh, something from a trip to Spain about eight years ago. And like some random fact that I had learned, uh, you know, about 
uh, about a, t- a certain type of bird. And so like these things, they all kind of like came together and like, I didn't lay that out ahead of time. I was like, I'm going to include this and this. It's just like, as I'm writing, like I'm mining my own experiences for, oh, cool. uh, yeah. for things that are emotionally resonant <clears throat> and yeah. pulling together all these disparate things into, into a new, uh, into a new hole. Well, I'm thinking of your short story, the spiral ranch mm-hmm. what was the and that's a slightly more recent story yeah. and it, it really made me think of how solar punk is really set in an era of transition mm-hmm. um what was the starting point for that yeah that so that one that one has a really specific starting point actually so uh so here in albuquerque uh we have an annual thing called a solar fiesta which is yeah, right. So it basically what it is is it's like all the uh, rooftop solar companies um, kind of you know come come together to uh, and have their booths and you can you know homeowners can go talk to them about like you know switching to solar things like that. But it's evolved into this uh, thing that's a little bit more than that, where they have like electric car races and they have like a solar. Uh, a solar, a giant solar oven where they bake cookies with the sun. And, well, this uh, this sounds like, like this sounds like Charging Man Festival. Is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, it's a it's a fun little thing, and uh, and they have they have talks about uh, things that are you know very very solar punk appropriate topics. And so there was I was uh, I went to one of the talks um, where I don't even remember what the topic was, but he uh, the the presenter uh, had. Oh, it's it was it was linear cities. That's what it was because it was Michael David Lipkin uh, who has right. this really interesting uh, vision of what how we could re remake the cities in America. Anyway, he had a presentation that included these images of conceptual architecture. And there was one of them that was like cows inside a skyscraper. And I was like, that's cool. How would that work? And yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think it was the the one, yeah, it was, it was yeah. I think, I think it was in the skyscraper. one. Yeah, the one here on the uh, the bigger one that you have on the screen. That was that was the one that I was like, "What is happening here?" And so I look. I went home and I looked it up, and I found the circular symbiosis, and it was just such a cool thing. I already had the idea of solar punk in my head, but I hadn't written a whole lot of stories in it. A few, I'd, I'd tried a, a few, but I was like, "Okay, I want to write a solar punk story, and I want to figure out who runs that, like who works there, who who deals with the cows, how did this come to be." Um, and, uh, and it was a lot of fun, uh, to work on that story. Well, when you read the story, I liked a little, there's some great theater in the way you pace it. And right near the beginning, the way you describe a character simply walking to the edge of the field and looking down over the lip so that, so the cows can't fall off to the, it immediately just wonked it into something different (laughs) to what we know, which was wonderful. But I'm conscious that, um, Solarpunk, this invitation to sort of take part, to test things up, to write for yourself, but then to make for yourself. Um, but when it comes to constructing a narrative, what do you think of it as part of, this is a two-part question, how do you see it as real-world building? And do you worry about preaching when you're writing? Yeah, so I think a lot of the technology and ideas that we use in solar punk are things that already exist now. Um, Clearly the skyscraper doesn't, but the, the concept of it did. And, you know, the, and vertical farms do, you know, uh, 
not raising livestock, but raising, you know, plants uh, in, in hydroponic uh, gardens, like my tiny one that I have in the background, you know, there are whole warehouses like that. Yes. Um, so, you know, a lot of solar punk takes renewable energies and green technologies uh, and social structures that already exist. And we just project it into the future where it is more mainstream than it is currently or it's yeah. more uh, accessible or more widely available. So um, is the spiral ranch a good idea? I, I don't know, but it made a good story and it makes people think about the way that uh, we source our, our food and the way that we, you know, uh, you know, the way that we raise animals and things like that. So it, you know, it's not necessarily meant to be like, this is a solution. We should, you should build this. It's more like, uh, you know, this, this is a thought experiment that hopefully yeah. will get people to think about, um, you know, the, the urban, uh, you know, versus the pastoral and the, you know, our relationship to food and things like that. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's supposed to be generative. It's not supposed to be like a pat solution. No, agreed. It, it has started to make me think of reading more of it, of Star Trek in a way, because mm -hmm. I, I got to the stage where, I was sort of annoyed that Star Trek has this massive fundamental gap in its thinking, which is environment, relationship with with, with planet. Um, it's not addressed much, and it's going to define us. It is already beginning to. But solar punk's a bit like Star Trek, and it, it has to world build in the way it tells the story and how to get that sort of... Um, you know, not not be too expositional in the dialogue, but you've still got to make the points that this world is not the same one. Do you find that a struggle, sort of dropping in to dialogue or description things that are a bit heavy-handed? Or is it's a real nuance to get that mature, isn't it, as a writer? That's probably the hardest thing to do as a solar punk writer. I mean, it's hard to do as a writer in general, yeah. that world building, but especially I think that is the most challenging thing about solar punk. And I know reading through all this, the slush that I've read for all the anthologies, as well as the, the Imagine 2200 uh, contest, I see writers struggling with that a lot. And yeah. the more didactic stories, you know, the more preachy stories, they don't make it through yeah. um, because they're more focused on that than they are about the story. And so it is, it is a tough balance. Um, and, uh, and you just have to show the world through the characters, I think, yeah. is the key. Because when you have, you know, you yourself as the author with your opinions about how, you know, how the world should be, how the politics should be, all that, and you're sort of putting that into the exposition, um, it's, it's, you know, it's a turnoff. Even, even if I agree with you, it's like... Yeah, no, like. it, it, yeah, it is. A, well, it's a trap because it's the it's the whole wanting to play in that world, and probably with solar punk wanting to preach that world. Yeah. Uh, that that gets you rubbing your thighs. And go, yeah, well, I want to be in that, but it means that therefore holding back is incredibly tricky because that's where the energy is. I think it's like making genre films that you filmmakers may get into it because they want to make a sci-fi flick or they want to do horror. And there's a, a, a rite of passage into maturity where you learn to not just go <laughs> over, over the genre and get into, right, this story needs telling. It isn't a genre story. Let's pretend that it isn't a genre at all, even though secretly that's the win for you. Actually, as a director, writer, producer, you've got to just go, who are the people? What's the drama here? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think when you show the the world through the characters and and also a, another key is just you make it look cool. 
you know, yeah. like you, the aesthetic is actually important. And that's what gets people's attention. And, um, you know, if it's all like, you know, we, we think of, uh, climate change and, uh, you know, the energy transition, all this, these are very like sort of dry, scary topics that, you know, they're not sexy. And so like the solar punk, we got to, uh, solar punk art and, and stories, we got to make it cool, you know, make it, make it something that like Star Trek, where it's like, that's like you said at the beginning, that's a world I want to live in. And yeah. then, you know, and then that generates the, the reader to think, okay, how do we get there? Yes. Now I, I think it was reading Spiral Ranch where I really started to sense it's funny, it happened to be your story because I think it's so nicely written. Uh, but I started to get that sense of the drama probably is in the sense of transition because although I'm used to saying solar punk's not a utopia, it's a testbed, uh, it, it, stories will be set in, across the next 100 years potentially, and that's the, that's the drama. It's how we get from here to this nihilistic destructo world into something where we're more regenerative, and lifted up and decentralized and can breathe a bit is that do you put that kind of tension in is that what you're thinking of when you're structuring stuff how to put in those tensions of transition yeah definitely with that story it, it for sure was because um you know the the, the transition has happened but not everyone's happy with it right yes. there's a set of characters right. that, that feel like they have been uh you know that their their livelihood and their um you know their priorities have, have not been uh their, their needs have not been met essentially. And I think yeah. in any kind of world, like I don't believe in utopia because people live there and yes. there will, and there will always be people with unmet needs. And yes. it's just, what are those, what are those needs and how are they different from the unmet needs uh, of people today? And you know, that that's where the conflict and the drama comes from. Mm, and it doesn't I'm always have to be this like, you know, human versus nature or this, you know, like direct, like, uh, you know, someone wants something, must take it from another. It, that's not the only way to, to build conflict. And, you know, oh, definitely. So, you know, there, but there will always, there will always be people with unmet needs. And, uh, and the transition, uh, I think, is, is full of potential uh, for stories. Yeah, it is. There will always be people with unmet needs. The transition's full of potential for stories. Uh, I thought it was interesting, actually, in that last reference to that uh, story, that it, it actually made me go, ooh, as a good conchy greenie, that the central character is, of course, there. it's a, an urban farm and it's a large-scale urban farm, but they're still farming livestock for meat. And, and that was an interesting kind of, oh, yeah, of course, because that's transition. I keep preaching it. And then reading it was kind of... Ooh, why isn't it a plant-based for oh no well that's because it's more interesting and the tensions thereof between the especially the two central characters was yeah yeah was also i'm i'm i don't believe that the entire world's going to go vegan no. you know like I, I i wrote this as a world where uh where meat and dairy consumption is much lower much much lower than uh it currently is yeah and uh and also you know, the production of meat and dairy uh, currently does not actually match the consumption of it. There is a lot that gets wasted. And yeah. so that's, you know, that's a change that, that uh, we, would, we will have to address for sustainability in the future. Um, so, but I, you know, there, I, I didn't, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to push, you know, an, an agenda on the entire world. Like there is going to be a difference in, in the foods people eat. And I think that, you know, if there is a way to uh, to raise uh, meat for food in in a way that's sustainable, yeah, then that can still be a part of the solar punk world. 
Yes, for sure. And amen. I mean, in terms of, you know, how this affects your view of the real world, this is, as we're recording this, of course, yet another enormous world event has taken place. And I wonder how you, without falling down the rabbit hole of, of looking at anything specific, I wonder how you are nourished by this kind of thing or how you feel at the moment about trying to write uh, with the world as it is. It's hard. It's been hard uh, for the last few years um, to write anything uh, near, especially anything near future, because everything's right. so in flux. Um, I've I've found uh, I found it very difficult to work on Solarpunk during 2020 um, right. because everything was just so. Uh, I didn't know what the future was going to look like, and we we never do. But right. it's like it's more in flux now, and and now we're in, back in that same kind of like situation like are we on the brink of world war three or you know or not um i don't know and so you know uh it's yeah <laughs> it's a difficult time to be to be a creative um but it's never been also, more gone I, I was gonna say there's also always uh opportunities to find uh the stories that aren't being told by the yeah. by the mainstream and to you know especially social media allows uh, allows us a lot more access to like what's what's really happening and not what's being filtered through the through the media narrative and um and i think that they're i don't know if if i was gonna say there's there's potential to like see sort of the the, the best of humanity as well as the worst and that yeah. that feels a little selfish to say actually because these are real people's lives and it's not i'm not saying like go mine these you know reports for for story ideas but just in terms of understanding human nature um yes in terms of understanding human nature yeah. and and getting to the the point of it um yeah. as somebody said on tv over here on friday night um looking like they felt like loads of us do he said you think that this story that we're in is about big corporate power or particular political ideologies or oil and gas and then when something big erupts like this you realize it's not about that at all actually that's mm -hmm. all just surface stuff it's about the individuals whose lives are then transformed powerlessly initially speaking and the power is in how you respond or, or hope to right yeah and just to go yeah. back to storytelling i think that's you know there's always the backdrop of the context and the the you know political landscape that the stories take place in but the story itself is about the people and it's about, about those those individual experiences interesting you talked about uh 2020 and there was this sense across that time depending on you know how much you worried about staying keeping any income in or whatever your circumstances were when the world got paused and kind of looked like a window through to something completely different yep. there are creatives who i think there are some creatives who used it to make stuff but i felt i think a lot of us felt across genres a pressure to make with with time if we did suddenly have more time than we thought some of us really didn't but the pressure to make but actually poor we've never needed what i was going to say earlier was we've never needed the creative and the storytelling more but actually that pressure can then make us all go oh, got to sit back and I can't the inspiration doesn't always come when you want to what's the source of inspiration for you that gets you excited and reaching for a pen um yeah what what is it um <laughs> well it won't be anything I suppose but I wonder when you do feel I've got to respond or or not 
Yeah, no, that's that's a really good question. Um, I it's just when the it's just when the characters won't leave me alone, you know. And I don't I don't know what the I don't know what the um, what the common thread is there because uh, sometimes um, I I tend to carry a story around in my head for a while before mm. I actually write it down. And so it's like I come up with an idea and I'm like working on it in my head before I actually like write anything on paper. And it's like if I keep if I keep doing that, you know, um, and, uh, it just know, becomes more 3d, doesn't it? It's like walking yeah. into it, carrying it around. They start speaking to you. All, all my writing friends say that that at some point happens. Yeah. And I did write quite a bit during 2020 and it was because yeah. I had a, I had a job before I had a job that kind of ended, uh, with, uh, with the shutdown. Um, that had been sucking up a lot of my time and mental energy. And so suddenly it was like, I can breathe again. <laughs> you know, I can like do what I, um, do what I'm supposed to do. Um, but I found it very difficult to write, like right. I said, science fiction or, uh, or any near future thing. Cause it was so much in flux. So I ended up writing a lot of fantasy during that time. And it's, you know, it's a good escape, but it's also, uh, just another way of processing, uh, the world and seeing yeah. uh, seeing the world in, in a different way. So, yeah, and art doesn't have to be output. You must be no. like me, very used to making something, and then it's got to sell or there's answerable to people. But actually, art is about the processing, isn't it? Sure, and I've got plenty of uh, stories and fragments and things that uh, just sitting on my hard drive that no one will ever see. And yeah, uh, yeah. I think that the novel that you mentioned I'm working on, I, I am still working on that. It is solar punk. Um, but like I have a document of, of uh, cut scenes that is as long as the novel itself. You right. know, so, <laughs> like I, I wrote this scene and then now the next re next revision through, I'm like, this doesn't work anymore. So it was like, but I don't throw it away. I copy it or I, I like cut it and I put it in this other document. And then that word count of the, the, the cut uh, things grows like the, uh, you know, like the the chips off of a, a statue. Off. Can you turn it into narrative mulch later or something? But <laughs> now, I, I mean, I wonder. This is an interesting thing here. How you marry in your head the editor part of your brain that seems to me talking to you as natural as the writer part of your brain. How do you? How do they talk to each other? Deal with each other? Um, they are slightly different. I mean, my head is just always full of stories. You know, I think it's kind of the difference between like reading and writing. Yeah. Um, you know, although the, you know, editing is, is reading while seeing the potential. So it's not reading yeah. and just, ex and just accepting what it is. It's like reading it and also seeing what it could be. Um, and I guess I'm always doing that when I'm reading anyway, cause I just, I, I'm always picking stories apart and, you know, I, I'm, I'm one of those people that I can't just watch a movie. I have to like analyze it, you know? Yes. Yes. Well, so. quite. But I mean, in a way, editing is when you're going to get grown up about creative work, editing is arguably, I found myself saying sometimes the most important bit and the hardest bit that mm -hmm. having the flow and the inspiration, you've got to tap into that sweet spot. But, but then how you contextualize it, pace it, all that stuff is where the real practice and skill comes. And it's uh, a negotiation. It's a negotiation with the author ah, always because I may have a vision <clears throat> for how I want the story to change that may not meet the, or may not match the vision that the writer had. Mm. And so 
<clears throat> you know, or, or for the rhythm of it or the pacing of it. And sometimes, you know, if it's something that's just like, okay, this is grammatically wrong. If you do it, th that's different than if it's like, I think it would be, you know, I think that the pacing would work better like this. And the author's like, that's not what I'm trying to do. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, it's, it's, um, it's similar to writing because it's a creative process, but it's different because it's like, it's more, it's more of a collaboration, right? Yeah. It's more of like uh, trying to uh, get in, not just your own creative headspace, but into their creative headspace. And that's, that's the uh, trick, isn't it? Yeah. It's tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Now look, I'm <laughs> conscious that you've got uh, the novella coming out another life coming May, 2023. Uh, tell me about another life. Uh, so another life takes place in uh, a small high tech solar punk community in uh, death Valley. And uh it's sort of like it, like an anarcho-communist uh, society where they live sort of free of free of money and in a very cooperative way, um, where all the, all their needs are taken care of, and so that people can um, pursue the things that they are meant to actually do. One of those characters is a scientist who discovers a way to sort of prove that reincarnation is real and who you were in a previous life, and that causes problems as one might expect mm, interesting do you i mean do you find the different genres you write in this is a really silly question i'm going to say it out loud i don't i don't care do you find the different genres that you write in giving you ideas across or spilling into each other i mean i'm sure <clears throat> that there are similar ideas uh in, in all of my stories um you know, because they all come from from my brain. So even like you, you mentioned my, my pen name, Kira Brenneman, uh, these are urban fantasy that take place in uh, in the mountains in Colorado. And it's like a shapeshifter solving mysteries. But even in that where it's like, seems like it's, it's completely different. Like I'm still dealing with themes of like uh, the environment and uh, human civilizations encroaching on uh, animal habitats and things like that. So like, it's just you know it's just part of who who i am and those those themes always come out i know, love the idea stories. of a shape i haven't i've not read those stories of yours and i love the idea of a shapeshifter solving crimes and that's you know just entirely incidental that there are <laughs> shapeshifters, which is really great narrative uh yeah and um i was going to ask you about um that idea that it's sort of implied in the in, in another life about spirituality in solar punk. It sort of fell out my conversation with Jay Springett, the idea that solar punk is seen as something not very spiritual. Uh, and to me, it sort of implies all kinds of connectedness, at least. Uh, you had some thoughts on that, I think. <clears throat> yeah. Well, so one of the foundational uh, solar punk texts, I think, is The Fifth Sacred Thing by Starhawk, which was a book published in the early 90s. And it's one of those that the the shelvers at the bookstore never know what section to put it in because Star, <laughs> Starhawk is, uh, uh, you know, she's, she's a Wiccan, right? And all of her other books are um, sort of these practical guides to neo-paganism and, and things like right. that. Um, and, but, it, but it is a science fiction narrative um, that takes place in, you know, later in the 21st century. And it's like a sort of dystopian outer world and this little very solar punk utopian pocket, um, oh. of, of San, San Francisco, where it's like, it's, it's really like the, the hippies of San Francisco, like 
held strong in San, you know, in San Francisco. They, they tore up the asphalt of the roads and they redirected the watershed into these rivers that run through the city. And, you know, it's just a very, uh, very sort of like, uh, you know, hippie-ish community where everyone is taken care of and, um, and they're, and they're holding strong against the outside world. And the, um, the conflict of course comes from people from their community having to venture out into the world or the outside world sort of encroaching on them. But so anyway, the, the fifth sacred thing, the premise is there are four sacred things that are basically the elements like earth, air, fire, water, and you have yeah. to be in balance with those before you can uh, access the fifth sacred thing, which is spirit. And when, so when all those four elements are balanced, then you can have access to magic and be able to speak to your ancestors and, you know, have this much more spiritual experience. So I think, you know, I consider that, that book, one of the, um, one of the first solar punk texts and mm, it is imbued with, it is imbued with spirituality yeah. and, and it's not, it's not just from this, uh, this Wiccan point of view, although that's, you know, that's sort of the main one, but there's also characters, um, uh, that, that are Jewish and that are Christian. And those, those cultures are, uh, sort of more in balance, um, in that, in their little pocket utopia than they are in our current world. They're not yes. in, in conflict. They are in conversation. So I think that, I think that there is a lot of potential for, um, for spirituality within, within solar punk. Mm, um, mm. if you can separate it sort of from religion, because religion is so divisive yeah. and, um, you know, and it's, it's sort of us versus them. And I think that's one reason that a lot of solar punk writers shy away from it is, you know, yeah. is because we're supposed to be building a, you know, a world of, of unity, you know, and, um, yeah. it's, it's like the, you know, the John Lennon song or imagine, imagine one of the yeah. lyrics is imagine there's no religion right yeah it's like one of the things that you take away to take away the, the borders yes uh, the divisiveness I, but spirituality is more personal so yeah um, it's a strange thing isn't it as we all try to work out an exploration of what the future might look like and how individualism and capitalism and all the machine robot dumb world that's destroying everything uh whilst giving some of us you know more music to listen to than we used to have and things to watch uh that spirituality can't get expunged and also spirituality is connective tissue it's sort of something that can help like art kind of bind you to something other and how much we need that to me solar punk is something that just it acknowledges that but then says while i'm waiting for that to, to work that out i'm just going to take these two things and see what happens when i put them together i kind of like that that it acknowledges uh, an otherness and a sort of all is oneness seems under the surface not very far to me in solar punk meanwhile we all get in and build a cloche uh, or, or see what happens when we put sensors into that uh, and see different ways we can harvest energy. And that I love that kinetic get on with it while we're trying to work it out thing. Sure, sure. Yeah. And I think, you know, especially since most solar punk has been in shorter forms, it's been in short stories. Yeah. You know, like, I think, you know, spirituality has, and, and religion haven't been uh, much of a part of it just because that's not what the story is about. Like, it's nah. a short story and you have to focus on building that, you know, that building it. Building um, there's not... Uh, there's not enough time in that to, to delve into like the characters, uh, con you know, spiritual connections. No. But, you know, as we, as we find more solar punk novels, uh, I think that that will be a part of, um, 
a part of the character development. I think it should be. I think there's a lot to explore there. There's a lot to explore between, you know, indigenous wisdoms uh, where that has to speak into our tech to rebalance all that. Yeah, yes. and, and this is what I find so exciting about it all, that it starts to put it all together and invites us to play and explore about, you know, mm -hmm. another world is possible is the sort of bottom line of it, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's part of the uh, part of the premise of of my you know novella too, yeah. just imagining you know another another life, another world. Um, mm. Yeah. Look, uh, getting towards the end of our time together, I'd like to ask you uh, if you. Uh, there's a little section we do at the end where I ask uh, my guests to leave an ancestral artifact. Is there an object, uh, a ritual? a notion, something that you'd like to leave behind that points to a particular group of people in the future or just something you want to speak into the future? I think that's what I'm doing with the, you know, with the silver. I don't have, I, one, do. <laughs> I don't have one particular thing or one particular artifact, but I think, you know, uh, when, when I first heard the term solar punk, it was this uh, sort of, clicking where it was like oh, yeah. that's that's it it, it just that's felt, it. It's what everyone it felt says. like it felt like that's what i was i had been looking you know as like i have always been a writer but i didn't know what i was going to do that was going to be different mm. you know that was gonna that was gonna and i and i was also just thinking like what is what is 21st century uh storytelling compared to 20th century storytelling yes and i think solar punk is is a big part of that it just right I was going to say, what, what do you think the answer is to that? Is there is there a, a notable difference? Do you think? I think that um, uh, sort of breaking out of some of the uh, colonial mindsets of twentieth yes. century uh, writing, and uh, you know, and including more voices uh, that that tell stories from uh, from different perspectives and through different um, structures. You know, mm. uh, that's not not just this like. Um, you know, sort of standard hero's journey. Nothing wrong with the hero's journey, but it's not the only way to tell a story. And I think I think we're seeing a lot more of that and a lot more of uh, of those diverse voices joining the chorus. So I think that's a big uh, difference. And um, you know, and and also just in terms of science fiction, uh, solar punk is kind of a subgenre of science fiction. Yeah. The um, you know the preoccupation of 20th century science fiction was nuclear, right? Because yep. that was the cloud that was hanging over um, most of that century. Well, and thank not, goodness not that's that irrelevant now. Well, and I don't know that it is, but uh, <laughs> um, it's not, you know, uh, like like my parents grew up doing the uh, duck and cover thing yeah. in, their, yeah, um, in, their, in their schools. And uh, kids now are growing up doing, you know, school strike for climate. Yeah. So I think that, you know, the way that, uh, that nuclear warfare hung over um, at, uh, 20th century science fiction, I think climate change hangs over 21st century science fiction. I think it is, you know, not that nuclear is, is completely relevant, but this is the big issue of our time. Yes. And, um, and so I think that even, even outside of solar pump, just in, in science fiction in general, it is becoming more, uh, more, uh, more a part of the more a part of the world, more a part of the story. So it I think is. that's that's one big difference. No, I think you've that, you've, you've nailed it, and it implies again, it's how the na narrative thinking, creative exploration, mm -hmm. is showing us as art does what to do in our 
practical lives that we need to have different structures to the story we think we're in, not approach it the same way. Otherwise, we are not going to beat climate change. And that's the contention of unsee the future is exactly that. Now, you part of your work is, of course, encouraging other voices uh, in such a big way. But in another way, too, there is, of course, Imagine 2200. Yes. Uh, Quickly tell me about that short story um, competition. Are you finding it's attracting a nice spread of types of voice? It it did last year, so um, yeah, I won't I won't have access to what's being submitted this year until about May. Um, okay. The I think the the deadline is May fifth. So if you're if you're watching this and you're thinking about writing a story, you have plenty of time to uh, get it done, polish it up, and send it in. But last year, yes, we had over a thousand submissions from eighty five different countries, I think, and um, the. Uh, the story is, you can find the stories that, that we ended up uh, publishing. There are 12 of them out of those thousands that we ended up picking. Um, but they are uh, not all solar punk. There are a few of them that are. Um, I think Afterglow, uh, which is the, the, the number one winner, I think is solar punk. Uh, Tree in the Backyard, which also is one that deals with uh, spirituality in, in a solar punk world for sure, because it's a, um, a character who can hear um, the voices of the dead. Um, and, uh, what's the other one? Um, I'm blanking on titles. Uh, oh, right. well, there's one called case of the turn tide, which is like a solar punk mystery. So anyway, out of the 12, there's like three or four that are definitely solar punk. The others are all climate fiction with sort of an optimistic outlook. Um, Interesting distinction there. And it's... Does it make for an interesting, a, a, a tricky read, jumping between structures or different world outlooks, or is it that richness, a very natural richness when you play I, through them? Yeah, it's more, it's more of a natural richness, and I, mm. I think you know, reading through uh, so many, so many stories, like the the really good ones, really stick out, you know. And it's like uh, everyone has good ideas, even mm. the even the stories that aren't very well written. I was so impressed with the the ideas that people had and the visions for the future. Um, you know, a lot of a red kind of preachy, like we were talking about earlier, yeah. kind of like not even stories, but like summaries of future history, <laughs> yes. um, you know, and none of those made it through, but they were still so full of interesting ideas. And, mm. um, but that's part of the fun, isn't it? I was going to ask you much earlier in the conversation, uh, even though we're getting to the end, do you enjoy the world building great big roll of paper geeking out on how all the things in your world fit together before you write the narrative or do you just follow the flow what the characters are saying and thinking um i do it a little bit of both because i have yeah, to know, I, would too. <laughs> I have to know something about uh mm. the the world and the, and the way it works before i go in but then i always even if i think i have it all figured out when i'm in the story i do not um yeah. you know I, i'll come up against a thing and then i'm like you know, down a rabbit hole of research for three hours and haven't actually written anything new. Um, That's part of the joy, though, isn't it? That's part (laughs) of doing it. Yeah. Well, and look, I think as a last point, uh, Peter, who's watching, hey, mate, uh, I happen to know this viewer who is a a playwright and a poet and a performer. And, And maybe this is the last thing for us, for you to leave with us. What's a basic hook into the whole concept of solar punk? Come full circle back to the beginning. When you're selling it to people who have no idea, uh, what do you say? 
Uh, solar punk is a, a movement of artists, writers, and activists who are interested in changing our trajectory of the world for the better. Uh, we envision a future of sustainability and community uh, in which um, the solution or the, the problems of our time uh, have largely been solved, meaning both environmental justice and social justice may not be a perfect world, but it is a world that is uh, that is moving toward uh, toward those solutions. Moving toward those solutions. Mm -hmm. And as you said right at the beginning, an invitation to now go write your own, now go Absolutely. embody your own. Yeah. Yes. It is, uh, it is decentralized. There is no, it, I was joking, we were joking with uh, with Jay uh, Springett uh, in, a, in a recent meetup. There is no king of solar punk. Um, There's no king of solar punk. He, he wanted the title, but, you know, he said no. <laughs> That's so Jay, though, isn't it, to want no. to be king? He was like, well, if the title's available. No. Um, <laughs> no, there's no there's no king of solar punk. There's no, you know, there are those of us who have been, uh, you know, involved in it and whose names are maybe more associated with it. But anyone who shares this vision, uh, you know, can, can, can be part of it. And um, whether you are just imagining the future or whether you are, uh, you know, taking steps in, in your real life to, you know, to move to this world, you know, and hopefully a little of both, um, because we have to imagine it first before we can really get there. But if it stays all in the imagination, then we failed. If it stays all in the imagination, then we've failed. I agree. And what you do encourages us to get physically stuck in through experiences, through making, through problem solving. And I think that's the job of storytelling. So, uh, Serena Ulubari, you're an absolute legend. Thank you for joining me on the Hopi Chatty Bits this time. Thank you so much. see the future and there we are isn't serena lovely i urge you to check out world weaver press they are weaving worlds it feels more than just telling you a story for escapism it feels like you are being exposed to ideas that you want to go away and work out in your own life uh world weaver press check it out and serena ulibari look out for her stories and her shorts and those compilations but here it is solar punk summers Storytelling has never, I think, been more important. That's the shtick of Unsee the Future. And this last week has simply highlighted it for me. I would say, very awkwardly, that this is also the week that I um, launched a single into the world, and that is out there now. How big is out to get? Surely it has nothing massively coincidental to say about the world we're in. But I hope that you can take away from Unsee the Future the idea that another world is absolutely possible. And the real fight we have is to reimagine the futures that we want. Let's imagine them, let's build them, let's write into them. Hey, let's not preach. That's what we spoke about. I will preach, though. I will actually preach. Let's together encourage the more hopeful human tomorrow. Discover more links and video and reading on the blog of this post at unseethefuture.com. And be the first to get the future in your inbox. Subscribe to the Momo Memos at unseethefuture.com forward slash amigos. Listen, read, ponder and share. Do. Unsee the Future is a Momo Tempo production. Obviously.